Welcome to this week's episode of The Divine Lantern. With the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. I'm your guest host, Myrna, from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth in New South Wales. In this week's episode, we will hear a sermon from St. Gregory the Great on the parable of the vineyard, which will be read by a member of our youth. We will also answer a question submitted by one of our listeners and conclude this week's episode with a reading from our Orthodox Library. Gregory the Great, Homily 19 of the Gospels, The Workers of the Eleventh Hour, Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. At that time, Jesus told his disciples this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a father who went out at daybreak to hire labourers for his vineyard. Having agreed with the workmen a penny a day, he sent them to his vineyard. He also went out and about the third hour and saw others standing there in the square doing nothing. He said to them, Go also to my vineyard, and I will give you what is right. And they went there. He went out again towards the sixth and ninth hour and did the same again. At last, having gone about the eleventh hour, he found others standing there and he said to them, Why are you all here doing nothing? They answered, Because no one hired. He said to them, Go also to my vineyard. When evening had come, the master of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the workers and pay their wages, beginning with the last arrivals and ending with the first ones. Those of the eleventh hour came, and each received a penny. The first, coming in their turn, thought they would receive more, but they also each received a denier. When receiving him, they murmured against the father of the family, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you give them as much as we, who have borne the weight of the day and the heat? The master, addressing one of them, replied, My friend, I do not do you any harm. Did you not agree on a penny with me? Take what is yours and leave. I want to give it to you as well as you. Do not I have the right to do what I want? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first will be last, for there are many called, but few chosen. The explanation of this reading of the Holy Gospel calls for long developments, but I want you to summarise them if possible, so that you do not have to be too talkative, adding to a long ceremony. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a father who hires labourers to cultivate his vineyard. Now who can be more justly compared to this father than our Creator, who governs those whom he has created, exercises in this world the right of property over his elect as a master over the servants whom he has at home. He owns a vineyard, the universal church, which has grown, so to speak, as many branches as it has produced saints, from Abel the righteous to the last one to be born at the end of the world. This father of the family hired labourers to cultivate his vine at daybreak, at the third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hour, since he had not ceased from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. 
in the end, to gather preachers, to instruct the crowd of the faithful. The daybreak for the world was from Adam to Noah, the third hour, from Noah to Abraham, the sixth, from Abraham to Moses, the ninth, from Moses to the coming of the Lord, and the eleventh hour, from the coming of the Lord to the end of the world. The holy apostles were sent to preach in this last hour, and although they came late, they received a full salary. The Lord, therefore, never stopped sending workers to cultivate his vineyard, that is, to teach his people. For while he was fructifying the good manners of his people by the patriarchs, then by the doctors of the law and the prophets, finally by the apostles, he worked, so to speak, to cultivate his vineyard through all his workers. All who, to a righteous faith, joined the good works were the workers of his vineyard, though to varying degrees and in different ways. The workers of daybreak, third, sixth, and ninth hour, therefore, designate the ancient Hebrew people, who applying in the person of his chosen ones from the beginning of the world to worship to God with a righteous faith, has, so to speak, not cease to work on the cultivation of the vine, but at the eleventh hour the Gentiles accord, and it is to them that these words are addressed. Why are you here all day long doing nothing? For throughout these so great lapse of time they had been through the world, they had neglected to work for eternal life, and they were, sort of, all day doing nothing. But notice, my brethren, what they answer to the question put to them, because no one has hired us. Indeed, no patriarch or prophet had come to them. But what does it mean? Nobody hired us to work. Otherwise, no one has preached the ways of life. But we, what shall we say for our excuse if we abstain from good works? Remember that we have received faith from our mother's womb, heard the words of life from our cradle, and sucked from the teats of the Holy Church the beverage of holy doctrine at the same time as the mother's milk. 2. We can also distribute these various hours of the day between the ages of life of each man. The little day is the childhood of our intelligence. The third hour can be understood as adolescence, but the sun then takes, so to speak, height, in that the ardour of youth begins to warm up. The sixth hour is the age of maturity. The sun establishes it as its point of equilibrium, since man is then in the fullness of his strength. The ninth hour refers to old age, where the sun descends in some way from the sky, because the ardours of middle age cool down there. Finally, the eleventh hour is that age which we are called decrepit and old, or extreme old age. Hence, it is that the Greeks no longer call gerontas those who are very old, but presbyterius to emphasize that these people whom they call more advanced in age have passed the stages of old age, since some are led to an honest life from childhood, others during adolescence, others to maturity, others in old age, others finally in the decrepit age as if they were called to the vineyard at different times of the day. Examine your own way of life, dear brothers, and see if you started to behave as God's workers. Think carefully about your actions and consider whether you work in the vineyard of the Lord. For whoever in this life seeks only his interests has not yet come to the Lord's vineyard. These indeed work for the Lord who think for the benefit of their masters and not theirs, 
who under the impulse of charity apply to the works of mercy, strive to win souls, and rush to lead others to walk with them to life. And as for the one who lives for himself and feeds himself on the pleasures of the flesh, he is rightly reproached for remaining idle, since he does not work to advance the word of God. He, who till his last age neglected to live for God, is like the workman who did not do anything until the eleventh hour. And it is rightly said to those who cross their arms until the eleventh hour, Why are you there all day doing nothing? It's like saying clearly, If you do not want to live for God during your youth and your maturity, repent at least in your last age. It is very late, and you will not be able to work much, but come on the ways of life anyway. These too the Father calls them often. Moreover, they are rewarded first, because they leave their body for the kingdom, before those who had been called from their childhood. Was not the thief coming at the eleventh hour? It was not by his advanced age, but by his torment that he arrived at the evening. He confessed God on the cross and exhaled his last breath almost at the moment when the Lord delivered his sentence. And the father of the family, admitting the thief before Peter in the repose of paradise, has well distributed the last, beginning with the last. And now a reading from the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. When you have done something good, remember the words, Without me you can do nothing. Saint Mark the Ascetic In Psalm 23, the rod is said to signify God's judgment and the staff, his providence. So he who has received spiritual knowledge of these things is able to say, Thy rod and thy staff have comforted me. St. Maximus the Confessor It is always possible to make a new start by means of repentance. You fell, it was written, now arise. And if you fall again, then rise again, without despairing at all of your salvation, no matter what happens. So long as you do not surrender yourself willingly to the enemy, your patient endurance, combined with self-reproach, will suffice for your salvation. St. Peter of Damascus On September 3rd in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate the Holy Hieromata Anthemos of Nicomedia. Though the sword cut off thy head, O Anthemos Mata, even when dead, thou sproutest hair unto God's glory. On the third, the sharp sword killed Anthemos. Anthemos governed as bishop during the cruel and violent persecution of Christians under the villainous emperors Diocletian and Maximian. He retreated to the village of Samana to continue encouraging his flock in the feet of martyrdom so that no one would fall away out of fear. Maximian eventually dispatched 20 soldiers to find Anthemos and bring him to court. When they found him, Anthemos welcomed them into his home. The soldiers encouraged him to run for his life, saying they would lie to the emperor to cover him. However, 
Anthemos would not transgress God's commandment against falsehood to save his life. And he went with the soldiers, whom he baptized on the journey back to the emperor. Anthemos was beheaded and returned to the Lord in the 4th century. On this day, we also commemorate our righteous father, Theoctistos, fellow ascetic with Euthymios the Great. The pursuit of the same ideal and communal labours united their hearts in a very strong friendship in the Far and Lavra, just outside of Jerusalem. Their souls blended in such a great spiritual affection that each was, so to speak, in the soul of the other. Considerable crowds would come to Euthymios for spiritual nourishment. The great anchorite shared the care of all who came to him with the blessed Theoctistos, who never having known disobedience, gave himself at once to the assistance of his master and disposed of everything material. Both holy monks served the flocks of Christ in the 5th century. By the intercessions of thy saints, O Christ God, have mercy upon us. Amen. What is a name day and why is it important?
While we may not always think about it or realise it, names play an important role in our lives. A person's name becomes fused with their identity and becomes a way that they're able to distinguish themselves from others in society. In most cases, the name given to a child by their parents stays with them their entire lives. The naming of a child can also be seen as an act of love and care. When God created Adam, one of his divinely designated roles was to name the animals, to see their nature, name them, and thereby act as a steward for God's creation. Often people choose names to express a tradition within their family. A newborn child may be named after their parents, grandparents, or other relatives. This tradition establishes a special bond and connection between the child and their namesake. Likewise, Orthodox Christians often choose to name their children after members of their spiritual family, the saints of the church. The church commemorates and celebrates its innumerable saints as part of its daily rhythm. There is at least one saint or martyr commemorated on each day of the year, as well as a special event in the church, for example, the Dormition or the Transfiguration. Other important figures or relics, for example, the angels or the cross, are also commemorated on particular days throughout the year. When it comes to the commemoration of the saints, the church chooses a day which coincides with the death or martyrdom of the saint, representing their spiritual birth into eternal life. When a child is born, Orthodox Christians traditionally choose to name their child after a saint who is commemorated on or near the birthday of the child, or a saint for whom the family has a special connection or devotion. The child may also be pledged to a certain saint before or after their birth, by choice of the parents. For example, a couple who may have had trouble conceiving may choose to name their child after the saint to whom they had prayed for their intercession. In the case of an adult who was received into the Orthodox Church at a later point in their life, they are encouraged to take on the name of a saint to whom they have a strong attachment. Your name day is the day the saint you were named for is celebrated by the church. It's an occasion to honour the memory of the saint whose name we bear and to give thanks for their daily intercession on our behalf. In traditionally orthodox countries like Greece or Russia, a person would celebrate their name day as people in the West would celebrate their birthdays. They would celebrate with a gathering, sharing of food and receiving gifts. Those who are not named after a saint usually celebrate on All Saints Day, the Sunday after Pentecost. Unfortunately, this tradition is not often practiced by Orthodox Christians in the West today, but we should remember that the saint we are named after, or whose name we chose to take on, is our patron and our companion on our spiritual journey. We should aim to take their life as a model for ours, learning from their struggles and piety and imitating them, just as they imitated Christ. And now, a reading from our Orthodox Library. Volume 4, Spirituality. Prayer, Fasting and Almsgiving. Fasting. Jesus himself fasted and taught his disciples to fast. And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, 
for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by men, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The purpose of fasting is to gain mastery over oneself and to conquer the passions of the flesh. It is to liberate oneself from dependence on the things of this world in order to concentrate on the things of the kingdom of God. It is to give power to the soul so that it would not yield to temptation and sin. According to Saint Seraphim, fasting is an indispensable means of gaining the fruit of the Holy Spirit in one's life. And Jesus himself taught that some forms of evil cannot be conquered without it. Man does not fast because it pleases God if his servants do not eat. For, as the Lenten hymns of the church remind us, the devil also never eats. Neither do men fast in order to afflict themselves with suffering and pain, for God has no pleasure in the discomfort of his people. Neither do men fast with the idea that their hunger and thirst can somehow serve as a reparation for their sins. Such an understanding is never given in the scriptures or the writings of the saints, which claim that there is no reparation for man's sin but the crucifixion of Christ. Salvation is a free gift of God, which no works of man can accomplish of merit. Men fast, therefore, and must fast, only to be delivered from carnal passions so that the free gift of salvation in Christ might produce great fruit in their lives. Men fast so that they might produce more effectively serve God who loves them and has saved them in Christ and the Spirit. Fasting without effort in virtue is wholly in vain. Why have we fasted and thou seest it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and thou takest no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight. Fasting like yours will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is not this the fast that I choose, to lose the bonds of wickedness, to let the oppressed go free? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover them? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall protect you. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Then you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Fasting in the body, O brethren, let us also fast from sin. This is the church's song in the Lenten season of fasting. It is also the teaching of the saints. In fasting one must not only obey the rule against gluttony in regard to food, but refrain from every sin so that, while fasting, the tongue may also fast, refraining from slander, lies, evil talking, degrading one's brother, anger, and every sin committed by the tongue. One should also fast with the eyes, that is, not look at vain things, not look shamefully or fearlessly at anyone. The hands and feet should also be kept from every evil action. When one fasts through vanity or thinking that he is achieving something especially virtuous, he fasts foolishly and soon begins to criticize others and to consider himself something great. A man who fasts wisely wins purity and comes to humility, and proves himself a skillful builder. Saint Abadorotheus. Saint Paul himself fasted and in his teaching on food insists that men fast and do so in secret, without mutual inspection and judgment. Brethren, join in imitating me, 
and mark those who so live as you have an example in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is met for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? He who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. He also who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while he who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of him for whom Christ has died. For the kingdom of God does not mean food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God, the faith that you have kept between yourself and God. Whatever does not proceed from faith, whether eating or abstaining, is sin. A big thank you to all our listeners as we conclude this week's episode of The Divine Lantern. Be sure to subscribe and share our channel on your favourite podcast provider. For more information on our Archdiocese, follow us on our social platforms by searching Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese Australia. We hope you tune in next week.